0: Hello, everybody. Thursday, that sounded like very radio announcer-ish, and I didn't mean it to be like that. But anyway, Pastor Paul here. It's April 13th, Thursday morning. Just a quick programming note. We were, we will not have our regular devotional time tomorrow. Looks like I'll be heading out of town. I'll be here Sunday, but heading out of town for a day or two. So we're going to try to wrap up our study of Matthew 5, 17 through 20 this morning. And then, of course... Um, encourage us to engage um, with the sermon on Sunday as we kind of bring it all together. So let me read the passage, and then we will um, dig in. So this is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. This is sort of um, the beginning of the teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is laying out for his followers, for us, what does life in the kingdom look like? What does the king call his subjects and people to embody, to do, to be as citizens of that kingdom with King Jesus at our helm. So, um, here we go. Verse 17, do not, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Let's start all that over, right? Verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. of heaven, And just to rehearse briefly where we've been this week, Jesus starts off this great teaching, this section on life in the kingdom by clarifying that he is not there to abolish the law. That's not what he is advocating for. That's not what he's about to teach or do. That's important because that's precisely the thing he was being accused of doing by the Pharisees. They were accusing him of abolishing law, dis- the law, disobeying the law disregarding the law, flaunting the law, making it up as he goes, and Jesus is taking great pains to show, to first of all say, no, he's not there to do that. In fact, Jesus is very pro-law, pro-word of God, pro-holiness. He is, not not one bit of the law will pass away until the new heavens and the new earth are here. Um, we we want to be jealously guarding the word of God and God's law, that whoever's easing off on the restrictions of God's law, teaching others to do the same. They're going to be called least in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is taking great pains to say he is not there to abolish the law. Um, he is there to fulfill the law. Now, when we talk about fulfillment, that's the one piece that we have, we have not spent as much time on this week. And what Jesus is taking great pains to say here is that as good and awesome and righteous and holy and pure as the word of God is in the Old Testament, the Torah, in and of itself, it is not complete. It's not, we wouldn't want to say defective, it's very effective in what it was designed to do, but what it was designed to do was to prepare the way for Jesus. It was designed to culminate, terminate in him. This means that all of the Old Testament laws, ceremonial, the civil, moral, everything was meant to communicate to the Israelites God's righteousness, God's holiness, and their utter inability to keep the law of their own accord. They needed a savior. They needed a Messiah, someone who would embody the law, obey the law, teach the law, and ultimately set things aright in the hearts of men and women. Now, when it says that Jesus came to fulfill the law, it does not simply mean there is a predictive element, like the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah, although he is in that sense of fulfillment. What it means, though, is that until you overlay the life, ministry, and deity of Jesus over the entirety of the Old Testament, the Old Testament won't Quite come into focus. It won't quite make sense. Again, just like if you're very nearsighted like I am and you attempt to read without your glasses or contacts. And by the way, I'm legally blind without my corrective lenses, 1500 over 20, um, just so you know. But I might be able to recognize dimly, vaguely some things, but by and large, they won't be in focus like they should be. And when Jesus uh, Matthew actually mentioned several times in the first four chapters, this happened so as to fulfill. This happened so as to fulfill. Um, let me give you an example, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 2, if you want to flip back there just for a second. Um, Jesus, um, Herod is killing the children, okay? And um, Matthew says... Verse 17, chapter 2, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. This means that not only was this a predictive prophecy, but it's being replayed in the present in a more fuller way. And this is the same thing with Jesus. So when Jesus came out of Egypt, okay, uh, look at verse 15. And remain there until he the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. So when Jesus is saying he is he has come to fulfill it, he means not just obey the law, although he did that, but to embody it in every way, to be its rightful, um, to 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 bring it to its rightful culmination. Now this is going to be really important as we start getting into the next sections of the Sermon on the Mount, really that we'll be in for the next several weeks, because Jesus is going to begin in verse 21, we'll start looking at this next week, he, he will preface each section by saying, you have heard that it was said of old, for example, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his bro- brother will be liable for judgment. And what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing us for the fact that he is King Jesus, And ultimately, he is the one who has the authority to interpret the Old Testament and to apply it. He is the and was the author of it. And what he's doing there is not setting aside the law about anger and lust and divorce. What he's doing is showing that the way that the Pharisees had interpreted and implied the Old Testament law was all wrong. And they have been looking merely to external piety, external forms of righteousness, without any sort of consideration for the heart. And what Jesus is aiming to do is to say, you've missed the whole point. You've heard that it was said this, but I'm telling you, unless this, okay? So so Jesus is not setting aside the law, he's showing the true intent of the law, the culmination of the law, the fulfillment of the law in him and his desire to not just um, clean the outside of the whitewashed tomb, right? He wants to make whole and clean and pure and bring life to what is inside, which helps us to understand Again, this is where we started the week in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean there? Unless your heart is transformed. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees who did things outwardly, but they did it for the wrong reasons, in the wrong ways, for the wrong purpose, that sort of righteousness merits nothing with God. Okay. The only thing that establishes righteousness in God's sight is a transformed heart, is a clean heart, out of which, yes, the works of the law flow and need to flow, must flow, right? So what we'll find at the end of Matthew, of course, is this idea that Jesus is the only true law keeper. And in order to, for him to make our hearts clean and pure, he had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. die on a cross, perfectly fulfill the law through His own obedience, so that by His grace He makes His heart, our hearts, clean, and then our righteousness, our experiential, organic, you know, practiced, lived-out righteousness, slowly, slowly, slowly begins to conform and look like the righteousness of God, where the inward and the outward are brought together. I think this is what it means when Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. Now, you may say, Pastor Paul, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I would love to hear a little more about that too, but I'm going to have to wait till Sunday when I preach to hear what else we're going to have to say. But but that kind of tees it up for you. And what I would encourage you to do is to begin to read through the rest of the sermon, particularly the rest of chapter five, um, the beginning of chapter six, where Jesus is going to give multiple examples of things God's law calls us to do, and how a purified and cleansed heart is the foundation, is the spring, is the root from which all of these things are to flow. And only Jesus can give us that. No amount of willpower, no amount of stick-to-itiveness, no amount of spiritual um, nose to the grindstone uh, will do it. Jesus has to do it for us. All right, Trust in him, lean on him. Folks, we'll be back here Monday mornings to start looking at these ethical sections where Jesus unpacks the law for us. Otherwise, see you Sunday. Have a great weekend. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this week, kind of um, with our study of this section, we want to give you praise and honor and glory that you have perfectly fulfilled the law for us and that by your grace, you begin to transform the inside of us to make the inside look like the outside and the outside to look like the inside, which is all to be a reflection of you. Lord, we look to you. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you back here Monday.